We have a great group of kids. I had to work to find that candy, by the way. I don't know why Pastor Brian hides it so well. Of course, I know what happens when my wife tries to hide things, and I can find it. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about only doing our duty. And um, so I was thinking about that phrase. Maybe you recall some of the Andy Griffith shows where Barney Fife would say that. He'd say, only doing my duty, whether it was rescuing a cat out of a tree or maybe giving his opinion where it wasn't wanted. <laughs> um, it's interesting that that phrase, only doing your duty, is really a biblical phrase. But I have a couple of other examples. Um, a lot of times people in law enforcement use it. Um, in India this year, um, an Indian officer in the country of India saved a Muslim youth from a mob attack, and he said, I was only doing my duty. Then again, in Hong Kong, a police officer um, saved somebody who was considering suicide, helped them uh, climb off the ledge, and he said the same thing, just doing his duty. Um, Mark Twain said this, do something every day that you don't want to do. This is the golden rule for acquiring the habit of doing your duty. Um, I think all of us probably have a different idea in mind when we think about that, of doing our duty. But I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17, because actually this phrase is in the Bible. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, if you'll bear with me. You can follow along or just listen. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung about his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed grain, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I think that we can go to your word and study it. And I just pray that as we humbly uh, allow you to apply it to our hearts this morning, that we will be uh, receptive. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we can study on our own, but that we can also gather here and learn what you're trying to teach us. And I just pray that you will, again, give us open hearts. Lord, touch my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, obviously, you figured out that... Uh, we're going to be talking about forgiveness this morning, and this is a subject, this is a passage, Luke chapter 17, that, to be honest with you, I've wrestled with over the years. Um, I have struggled with unforgiveness or unwillingness to forgive, and 
to be honest, at times, even still, as a Christian of over 40 years, I find myself still thinking that forgiveness is optional. And I know this is a big subject. This is one of those subjects you could probably have a, a class on or even a small group. <laughs> but uh, here's a question. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Well, we know that it is an abstract concept. In other words, it's something that's a little hard to understand. We have to be taught what it means. I know the uh, uh, preacher on the radio who is with the Lord now, J. Vernon McGee, would use this phrase a lot. He'd say, we're walking through some tall corn today, and he would talk about some abstract concept that he wanted us to understand. Maybe you've listened to J. Vernon McGee. Well, this is one of those subjects. This is tall corn. This is something that takes a little thought to consider, and it's good for us to spend time and just kind of let God's, work soak, God's word soak into our hearts. But really, it's no different than love or faith or meekness or some other fruit of the Spirit. I won't have you turn there, but in Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. In other words, be forgiving. I remember when I was a teenager, when we had the Christian bookstore here in town many years ago, I went in there and I became interested in the B-series by Warren Wiersbe. Maybe you had some of those books. Uh, and one of them uh, had the fruit of the Spirit in it. And I studied that and I found it very interesting. And that's a lot of what Christianity involves. Not just doing, but being, or maybe we might use the word disposition. Forgiveness is a virtue, a Christian virtue. And I think it's safe to say that forgiveness is a foundational value in the kingdom of God. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's interesting, I just did a quick look, and over 50 times this word or variation of this word forgive is used in the Bible. And I think that that's significant when we think about how often Jesus or other writers mention something that's important to consider. Jesus himself, in fact, spent a lot of time talking about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, he said, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, I like the word disposition. It's kind of like a preset. Maybe you're familiar with technology and, you know, you can go and print something and in a line it has a preset. You can go ahead and set it to notes or some other uh, application and maybe you don't understand what I'm saying, but in other words, there's a, a predisposed a set of rules that apply when you hit print. Well, that's kind of the way a dis disposition works. In other words, a disposition is something that we have ahead of time. It's an attitude, if you will. Um, for example, meekness is an attitude. It's hard for some people to understand meekness because of that. Uh, simply put, meekness is the disposition to yield. In other words, our hearts are already prepared to say yes. Um, how many of you have ever said no to a boss? <laughs> how many of you regretted it? <laughs> Well, 
Sometimes when we get into our own situation, we forget that we have a boss. And when our boss asks us to do something that we don't like, we say, sure, <laughs> right? Okay. Well, if we are meek, that means that we're already preset to say yes. Unless, obviously, it's something that we shouldn't do if it's wrong. And then we say we ought to obey God rather than man. But most of the time, the things that our boss asks us to do uh, aren't illegal or immoral. We just don't want to do them, right? And so meekness is that person who is willing and ready to say yes. And really, uh, I think you could even define faith that way. And I've studied this for many years, and I know there are other opinions and other ideas on it. But I kind of like to look at a good definition of faith as the disposition to do. In other words... I'm ready to go. I'm committed to the process. Uh, one of my professors in college said, faith is a commitment to live according to spiritual realities. In other words, uh, we've got our shoes on. We're ready to go out to the garden and pull weeds as soon as that rain stops. <laughs> we are committed to the process. We have faith that we can get out there and do it. Well, I think if you want a simple definition of forgiveness, it's very similar. Forgiveness is the disposition to let go. And I think it's a very important disposition to have, a disposition to let go. What are we letting go? Well, I think uh, Paul already shared that with us, and Jesus as well. If you have a grievance against someone, forgive them. In other words, if you have something against someone, uh, if you have an event, someone's offended you. Um, and I think it's safe to say that we're talking about sin here, not things that we just don't like. Um, Sometimes I put food in front of uh, my grandkids and they go, well, I don't want to eat that. Uh, that could be sin, I guess, but I don't look at it as sin. I say, well, what do you want to eat? <laughs> you don't like pepperonis. You don't like hamburger. What do you want on your pizza? Cheese. <laughs> Cheese is a safe go-to pizza, right? Well, faith is, or excuse me, forgiveness is to be predisposed to let go of something that we have in our hearts. In other words, forgiveness is something we have in our hearts. Um, we're prepared to forgive someone when they ask. And I think of a financial debt that someone might owe, and Jesus also did this in passage in Luke 17 and other places. Uh, somebody owes something monetarily, and let's say that somebody owes you $1,000. You know, you wrote up a contract or whatever, or you shook on it. And they come to you and say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to pay that back. You know, my wife is in the hospital or this happened, that happened. Well, if you forgive them, what you're doing is you're saying to them, okay, I'll accept that. You don't owe me that $1,000 anymore. And personally, uh, my experience has been don't loan people money. <laughs> if, if somebody asks you for help, uh, my humble thought is, is that go ahead and just give it to them. And don't make them a borrower. And I think that that, uh, that shows our generosity to God, but it also helps us because if there is a chance that they can't pay it back, then there's not an issue there. I'm not against borrowing and, and uh, lending money. Um, but as far as Christians are concerned, I think that it's better to forgive. Now, this uh, attitude doesn't come easy, obviously. We're prepared to relinquish a payment when it comes to sin. 
that we see as owed to us. In other words, we have something against somebody because they did something to us. Well, forgiving them simply means we just let it go. We don't hold it against them anymore. And again, it's a concept of debt like finances. But what about the unrepentant? In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says that the person comes to them and says, I repent. What about the person who denies that they did anything wrong? I mean, there's a lot of those people, right? <laughs> I know that most of the stuff I do isn't sin <laughs> um, because I kind of favor myself, and I have a feeling all of us do that. Uh, we see the sin in other people more quickly than we see our own sin. And I think about my brother. I have a twin brother, and he was here a week or two ago. And mom would say to one of us, tell him you're sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, tell him that you forgive him. I forgive you, jerk. That's what we do, right? A lot of times we forgive, but we do it grudgingly. We say, jerk. <laughs> because we know that they're not repentant. But notice in Luke chapter 17, if you have your Bible open... It says in verse 4, if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times in a day. And see, I have a problem right there with that. <laughs> Say, if somebody sinned against me seven times, uh, I'm going to go do something else, you know. Um, but Jesus says seven times in a day, and he says, I repent. In other words, we don't know what's in the heart, but all we can see and hear is, are the words, I'm sorry. And again, I go back to my brother and say, he's not sorry. And I'm still supposed to forgive him? And the answer is yes. And I don't have this in my notes, but this is kind of where we're headed because that's the adult thing to do, right? Uh, it's, it's the adult thing to do. It's the mature thing for, to do for us to say, I forgive you. Now, I think it's very healthy. In fact, I think it's important for us to say those three words. I, I don't think we should say, oh, that's okay, forget about it. I think people need to hear I forgive you because it brings closure. I think there's just something about it. And like I say, it's not necessarily in the Bible, but that's just the way I feel that when I tell somebody I'm sorry, I want to hear those words. I don't want to, I don't want to look. I don't want to smile. I don't want a pat on the back. I want to hear those words. I forgive you because then I know it's official. It's kind of like the handshake. Uh, the the uh, transaction has been resolved. Again, those aren't in my notes. <laughs> but I think also what we need to say, and this is something that is equally as important, is this, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Because the Bible addresses that. And I wish we had time. Again, we probably need to have a, a, a set of lessons or a set of studies on forgiveness. But it's so important for us to learn how to apologize and to ask for forgiveness when we do something wrong. Well, one of the things I'd like for us to do this morning in the time that we have left is to develop a better understanding of forgiveness as it's mentioned here in Luke chapter 17, but also how it fits into God's plan. And again, I don't have this in my notes, but uh, suffice it to say that forgiveness is, par is part of a bigger process. Forgiveness is part of the process of reconciliation. In other words, for two people to come together and we forget that, um, I have a, a passage I'm going to read to you out of Matthew 18. I just want you to listen to it. It says in verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And that's the question I had. 
and I forgive him. As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And there's the money thing there. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which was a lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. In other words, he canceled the debt. The debt is null and void. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which was a small amount. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. In other words, he had a grievance against somebody else. They owed him money. Maybe like two quarters to put in the vending machine to get a pop. Um, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So, all my heavenly father, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I didn't say this was going to be an easy study. <laughs> this is one of those studies that probably make us feel uncomfortable. I, I mean, I'm uncomfortable just staying up here and preaching it. But the concept is, is that all of us sin, all of us fall short. And I think that there is a necessity for us to already be predisposed to forgive because we know that offenses will come. In James chapter 5, he writes, Confess your faults or sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's not a question of if we sin. It's a question of when we sin, right? Uh, I think that's what the small groups are for, is for that kind of thing to take place where we can say, well, pray for me. I'm really struggling with dot, dot, dot. Um, and it's a privilege to be able to pray for those things. Um, I think that as we look at Luke chapter 17 and other passages, it's important for us to see that this is a very specific and uh, accurate thing because we don't just ask for forgiveness for things that upset people or perturb them or maybe, like I said, the toppings on a pizza, but these are real bona fide sins. You know, if you're mad at something, sometimes you may be just mad at God. Or if you're mad at something, you just may be mad at yourself, but you're taking it out on somebody else and you're offended by them. Jesus is trying to educate his disciples about forgiveness and how important it is in the kingdom of God. But I think it's not just an FYI. It's one of those building blocks. A little over three years ago, I switched uh, careers, and I'm working for the school district in the tech department. I'll never forget what my boss told me when I walked in and sat down. He said, it's going to take you months and months and months to learn technology. And it's been three years now. I'm still learning technology. <laughs> um, probably will always be learning it. Well, that's the way it is with forgiveness. I'm just going to say it to you, it's going to take a long time for us to really grasp 
and apply this important concept of forgiveness. It's going to take a lifetime. And if you haven't started now, that's not my notes, it's a good time to start. But I just want you to go back to Luke chapter 17 as we look at some of these verses. We've already talked about a few of the points. Um, but it's interesting in the interchange between Jesus and his disciples that they respond to his requirement of forgiveness. It says in verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I think that was kind of their standard uh, response when they said, I don't want to do that. <laughs> increase our faith. Lord, you do it. You know, they put it back, the onus back on Jesus and said, I need a miracle. <laughs> That's like when you spend all your money and you don't have any left of the month and you have to pay bills. Say, Lord, I need some money. Well, no, you need to quit buying things that you can't afford. And I'm not here to judge anybody because I'm talking about myself. Well, that's what the disciples were saying. Lord, we can't do this. This is too hard. It's impossible. Uh, so they say, increase our faith. And so Jesus uses the grain of mustard seed to prove that their level of faith wasn't the problem. Faith isn't like that. It doesn't work that way. Again, if you look at faith as a disposition, as a preparation of the heart to say yes to him, to, to do whatever it is he tells you to do, uh, you realize that faith is not quantified as a tiny or large. Uh, and he says that. He says, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea, which is a miracle, and it would obey you. Faith is not the issue. And I believe with all my heart that when God tells us to do something, we can do it. Because otherwise you wouldn't tell us. Now, obviously, we need his strength, right? We need the Holy Spirit. We need to pray. We need to come to church and worship God. We, we need to have all of our ducks in a row. I mean, when you think about it, life is like that. You know, every one of us got up this morning and got ready and came here, and we had to make sure there was gas in the car, and we had to make sure that we had our Bible. Um, you know, we just didn't necessarily show up, jump out of bed and show up. Maybe some of you did. I don't know. You all look pretty good. But the point is, is that faith uh, is a disposition to say yes to God Meekness is a disposition to yield to God. And I think that's what Jesus is, is trying to address. He simply had servants that were unwilling. Now, how would you feel if you have a business and you had employees that when you showed up, they were playing solitaire on their computer? That's an old-fashioned thing. Or they were on their phone playing a game. <laughs> or if they were wasting time. Or if they were you know, taking stuff from the office or whatever it is. You know, if you found something that was disturbing, well, you would say, well, you're not a very good employee. Or if they said, you know what, I don't feel like doing this to-do list you gave us. Um, sometimes I'm a supervisor at the school. It's a, in a very small way, and I'll tell one guy to go that way and go, tell another guy to go that way, and we kind of meet in the middle. Well, if one guy doesn't show up, there's a problem. <laughs> Because we're doing a project together as a job, and if we don't finish the job, then we got to start over, or I have to walk it all. Um, it just doesn't work. And so what Jesus does is, is he gives us a parable called the unworthy, unprofitable servant. And I'll just read it again. He says, well, any of you who has a servant, and this is an agricultural scene, so I think it really is easy to understand. You know, somebody out in the field in this case, they're plowing or keeping sheep. Say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. In other words, um, 
you know, as long as the job is there to be done and there's daylight to do it, you, you're going to stay out there, right? If it's in the tractor, and I've pulled grain carts before, and by 10 o'clock, all my food was gone. Uh, by 12 o'clock, I had run the battery down on my phone, and I couldn't do anything on my phone. And so for like the next six hours, I just had a personal time with God, and it's like a little revival because you feel like you're kind of trapped, and God's got a chance to, to talk to you. Well, in this case, this person works all day out in the field, and he comes in, and he puts on his butler clothes and serves the master his food and his drink. I don't know too many servants like that. <laughs> You're saying to yourself, I'd like to have one of those. But that's what this one does, and afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? And the implied answer is no. There's no thanksgiving. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Uh, sometimes when we hear people say that, you know, it was just my duty to do that. What they're saying is, is that I don't, I don't get paid extra to do my job. I don't get paid extra to do what I was contracted to do. I'm just doing my duty. Now, I like that word duty. And as we, I guess this is the 4th of July weekend. I don't know, when it's in the Wednesday, you could go either way. Um, you know, we're celebrating the birth of our country. We're thankful that we have a free country in which to live. Um, I see that there's you know, red, white, and blue around, and so that's great. So I guess we are in the, the weekend. And I think about men and women all over the, the United States and all over the world who serve and do their duty and it's an honor to honor them this morning. And I thank you if you were one of those who gave of yourself to your country to do your duty. Um, we as Christians also have a duty. And it's interesting that I think Jesus is making a point to his disciples that we need to make to ourselves. And that is, is that we owe it to him. We owe it to him. You see, we've already been paid. <laughs> and that payment we celebrated this morning when we took communion. Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sin. He took our sin, and so now we belong to him. He is our master. The rest of our lives, we owe it to him to forgive. You know, I was talking to the kids about the extra chores. Um, when I was a kid, I got a... a Allowance, you know, I was fortunate. I got an allowance of a dollar, and back when I was a kid, that would buy a lot. But most of the time, the chores that I did was for the food I ate on the table. It was for the roof over my head. You know, you've probably heard that message from your adult adults in your life when you were a kid. Well, that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Uh, just to be part of this is to forgive. And again, I think that Jesus is trying to make that point to his disciples, and that's one that we need as well. You know, I think about a mother who takes care of her children. Quite frankly, that's her duty, and she knows it. And it's an honor for me to honor mothers, like on Mother's Day, because we know the sacrifice. But they don't wait for pay. <laughs> At least it's kind of un unusual for them to do so. Um, and again, I think about people who are in harm's way just doing their duty all over the world. And so we say to ourselves, 
Well, that's kind of annoying, isn't it, that I have to forgive? Well, what's the option? Say, we're okay, so Jesus told his disciples to forgive, and they say increase our faith, they're inclined not to do it. In other words, they're not being meek. What's the option over here? Um, to not forgive? And where does that person go? <laughs> well, it's a little disturbing to me, but it looks like that person doesn't get to be with Jesus someday. And it's disturbing to me because I don't want that to be me, but yet I find myself being unforgiving. And this is not a battle with anybody else. This is the battle that I have with myself. Just think about people. You, know, you probably know of people who hold a harbor a grudge all their lives. You know, they're always talking about that cousin. <laughs> or whenever you bring up a situation, they always go back to that story. I have a story, and I'm reluctant to tell you, but when I was a kid, I tripped a friend. And it sprained her arm. She didn't break her arm, but she was younger than me. The next day, she and her posse uh, find me, and this is what Mary said. Mary says, Perry, you broke your, you hurt my arm, Perry Baird. And I'm going to say I was probably nine. And I was embarrassed, and I was ashamed. It's like I didn't mean to hurt her. We were playing this game, and I tripped her. But she had something against me. And to be honest with you, it was hard for me to accept, and I was too ashamed to even ask for forgiveness because I was just a kid and wasn't a believer. Um, my mom has kept that story alive because sometimes she makes fun of me, and she says, you hurt my arm, Perry Baird. You hurt my arm. And sometimes my wife says that. I don't even know why she even does it. But it's just that memory that I owe somebody. Uh, well, you know what we do owe? We owe God because he forgave us. But secondly, the Bible says, and we won't turn there, we owe each other a debt of love. We owe each other a debt of love. Eternity really hangs in the balance when we consider to forgive or not. Either we can forgive and be in the presence of God for eternity, or, again, the, the alternative doesn't look so great. And I'm not here to send anybody to hell. I'm not here to judge you. But I think this should concern us a little bit. And I know that I'm concerned about myself. And it didn't seem like the disciples were that concerned. And so Jesus pulls the big guns out and he says, it's your job. It's your job. Forgiveness isn't a desired, it's a required. And when performed, we don't get anything else for it except the forgiveness we've already received. We've already been paid. We've already been forgiven. In closing, I had something I was going to share, and I was sitting there, I'm thinking, I have a, just a, a story I'd like to share from my personal life. And um, it's a little painful, but I think it accurately depicts forgiveness versus the alternative and I guess what I want you to do is to go away from here and I want you to search your heart and ask God to help you but uh, when I was 10 years old my brother and I went to church camp down in Scott City Scott Lake and it was a horrible time <laughs> church camp yay uh, actually it wasn't too bad but I saw a kid get a tick never saw that before um I rammed a few canoes with my canoe. I, I wasn't saved yet. I was at church camp. 
Then after camp was over, my folks came and picked us up, and they informed us that we were moving from Bazine to the farm, which is northwest of Brewster. A little confused there, and it turned out that my parents had separated temporarily and that they almost got a divorce. Now that I'm older, they told me the story. So we moved to the farm northwest of Brewster, and we were there. But I could tell things weren't right between my mom and dad. I could tell that um, <laughs> mom worked nights and dad worked days, and it didn't seem like they were talking to each other, and my dad accepted the Lord, and we still went to church together. We had family devotions together. It was just odd. So one day I asked my mom, I said, Mom, do you love dad? And she said, no. I said, well, do you hate dad? And she said, no. And I couldn't understand that. Because in my mind, in my 11, 12-year-old mind, everything was black and white. Well, I understand as an adult that things aren't black and white in my mind. Thankfully, my mom came to faith in Christ, and she loves my dad now. But I know there are a lot of people that if you'd ask them that question, they would say no to both of those questions. And there's kind of a, a lukewarm ambivalence sometimes that we have in our relationship with each other. We don't embrace people, and we don't push them away. We just are somewhere in the middle. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that under Luke 17's qualification for forgiveness, that that is wrong. Because, like I said at the beginning, forgiveness is a, is a part of the process of reconciliation. In other words, you cannot experience forgiveness until there's a desire for reconciliation. And a lack of faith is not the issue. And to be honest with you, I think that this passage, in this passage, Jesus may have solved one problem, but he exposed a greater one. And isn't it interesting how God does that? You know, God will take a trial. God will take a problem. And all of a sudden we realize, <laughs> I've been having, you know, th this has been going on for a long time. And the issue is, is that they possess the disposition of no. In other words, they were already preset to say no. Uh, unless it was something they were comfortable with. And I, again, I think about the people, the men and women who serve our country, and when their commander tells them to do something, they don't say no. When a mother wakes up to a crying baby, she doesn't say no. She gets up and she takes care of that baby. When, when a parent, when anybody in leadership, when, it, when adults are faced with something serious, they say yes. And the issue of who's the master and who's the servant comes to the surface. And that's what Jesus drew out of his disciples. It wasn't a lack of faith. It wasn't a lack of information or knowledge. It was a lack of meekness. And I'd have to say, at least half the time, I catch myself doing the exact same thing. Like I'm in charge of my life, that I can choose to say yes or no to God's commands, that I can go here and I can go there, but let me close with this verse in James chapter 4, verse 15. And this is actually talking about a business, a person who makes money. So this is like about as worldly as you can get, if you want to call it that. James says, 
if it is the Lord's will. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And I just encourage all of us this morning to consider the Lord's will. To be humble, to be meek. Maybe we say to ourselves, I can't do it. You know, that's okay. But then you go to God and say, God, you're going to have to do it through me. Um, I have odd against my brother. Uh, I know that I have wronged them. And that relationship is broken. And the whole point of the Christian experience is to build relationships with each other. And to build relationships with a lost and dying world. So I humbly ask that we say yes to God this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you tell us what you want. And really, a lack of knowledge is not the issue most of the time for me. It's a, a lack of willingness a disposition to say yes, Lord. And first of all, Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room who has not taken that initial step of salvation by putting their faith in Jesus, that they will choose Jesus this morning, that they will choose you this morning. They will accept eternal salvation by faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And Lord, I pray that if there's a Christian here this morning, and I, I think of myself, Lord, I know that I struggle with a disposition to let go. Lord, there are a lot of hurting hearts. There are a lot of, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of um, distrust. There's a lot of bitterness. God, I pray that you will help us, enable us, and strengthen us to say yes to you. And I thank you, Lord, again for your word. Thank you, thank you that we can learn what you want us to know. And I pray by your Holy Spirit you'll give us the ability to say yes and to do it. And I pray this in Jesus' name.